It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 227, Quantum the podcast that looks at news and views and culture from a Christian perspective, but open to all. Now, I made a foolish promise last week, suggesting that I would do a special on Scotland um, because it was St Andrew's Day yesterday and... I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do it because, believe it or not, it's too difficult. And also, we've got a lot of news this week that we want to look at. So, the 10 happiest songs. We've been working through this, the 10 songs that are scientifically proven to make you feel happier. Uh, This is number two. Rasputin. It's an extraordinary song because it's an incredibly joyful song. Uh, it does make you smile. It's had a resurgence because I, the, the version you heard there was at the Sopat Festival in 1979. That shows you how old the song is. But it's had a resurgence because of TikToks. There are endless TikToks of people dancing to this on the streets and elsewhere. Um, I also think it's an extraordinary song because it's a song about history. Boney M are just an amazing band. In fact, I think we'll hear from them again before the end of the podcast. But I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, speaking of music, around the time of that Boney M song, uh, I my favourite album was an album called uh, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. And Christine McVeigh of Fleetwood Mac died this week, aged... 79, and I want to use this Fleetwood Mac song as, I guess, the theme for where we're going today. We're not going to look at a a lot, I don't think, but what we look at is important. So here's the theme, anyway, from Fleetwood Mac and the late, great Christine McVie. Everything 
That was You Can Go Your Own Way. Now, there was a tremendous documentary made about the making of Rumours. And it's talking about how the, the band, all the tensions that existed within that band. But uh, that go your own way, that's a theme for our culture and our society. And it's something that's reflected on in the Bible in Romans chapter 1, where God says that having that when people reject him and reject the knowledge that they have of him, he just leaves them. His greatest punishment is to leave them to go their own way. And we might think that going our own way is the best way to be, but actually going our own way, we end up with chaos. And we're, and we're going to see that. You know, the, the Burger King advert was it, which said, have it your way. Well, God says to us, have it our way, and this is what happens. And I want particularly to focus on the indoctrination of young people. Because what happens is they're told they can go their own way, but then they are told what their way is. And so universities, as I'm saying, should stop calling themselves that. They should call themselves monoversities. But we're seeing that in schools, and this is particularly important for parents. It's particularly important for us all to understand how our children and our young people are being indoctrinated by people who mean them harm. So one of you sent me, one of the the normal listeners, regular listeners to this, sent me this tremendous uh, new podcast or show called The Bad Law Show with Dr. Anna Lautfi, I think is how you pronounce it. And in this first one, she's talking to Claire Page, and I found it both fascinating and horrific. And you'll get the links as you get the links for all the stories on this on the website. So, but here's the first few seconds of the show. Hello and welcome to The Bad Law Show. My name's Anna Lutfi and I'm a barrister with The Bad Law Project. And The Bad Law Show is an opportunity for me to tell you more about what The Bad Law Project is doing. We're holding in-depth interviews and conversations with researchers, concerned citizens, and people with insights from every walk of life who come and talk to us about where they see bad law happening and how we can address it and correct it. And I'm very excited on this, our first bad law show, to welcome Claire Page, uh, who is a parent, first and foremost, uh, who has found herself confused baffled and occasionally outraged by what she calls the landscape of education policy. And having found uh, many issues uh, raised in the context of her own children's schooling, uh, she's been doing a lot of research into education policy in the UK and has brought to the attention of the public through interviews and again based on her own research a number of key controversial topics that we're going to explore today. One of which is the concept of political indoctrination in schools. And we'll discuss that uh, concept. uh, Now I listen to all, and I just, you you would not believe as parents what is being taught our children. We've mentioned before the drag queen stuff. Well, that's only part of the sexual grooming. And it is grooming, by the way. There's no other way to describe it. Listen to the interview and you'll see it. And in the United Kingdom, it's compulsory. Sex education is compulsory. And your children are being taught this. Now, parents have to make a fuss about this. The other aspect is all schools have to teach LGBT in all subjects. Wow. Now, here's part of a book. Now, if you do have children listening to this, I I was going to say maybe you should block their ears. But... 
actually, this is a book for children, for primary school children, that is in, in schools in England and Wales, and I'm sure in Scotland. Now, forgive me, this is important, so please forgive me for this. Um, this book says this. It is a good idea to leave feelings till last. Here you can emphasise that love and affection are often important parts of good sex, but not always. Remember, this is for primary school children. For others, good sex is quick, rough and anonymous. You can also explore the fact that some people enjoy feeling pain during sex, which is often referred to as kink or BDSM. They... I, I, actually, I don't really want to read any more. This is being taught to kids. Now, that's not just in schools. There is a, a, a company called Balancigia who are have got about 11 million, million followers on Instagram. They had an advertisement on Twitter featuring a young child holding a teddy bear in bondage gear. This is for real. It features the girl holding a toy-wearing fishness, restraints, and a padlock with bruised purple and blue eyes. Now, this company had before glamorised domestic violence. But this is being done for advertising. One of the good things about Elon Musk taking over Twitter, and one of the astonishing things, and I'll tell you why it's astonishing in a moment, is that he's managed to remove a vast amount of the child pornography, child sexual exploitation material. Now, he managed to do... It's astonishing that he did it so quickly. It's astonishing that he did it with 75% of the workforce gone. But what is even more astonishing is that they weren't able to do it. And I suspect because they didn't want to do it. You know, this idea we're saying go their own way. We're teaching kids about sexual fetishes. We're teaching kids to be sexually active. And we're teaching kids to be secret about it. Now, as some of you know, I, I have a daughter, Becky, up in the Blue Mountains. And I have two lovely granddaughters. And one time, my daughter, Becky, gave me a row. And she was absolutely spot on. And I'll tell you why she did so. Because I said to the girls, we're going to go for ice cream and it will be our secret. And Becky, who is a social worker and who works in, in this area, Said, no, 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 Grandad, we don't have secrets. One of the first things that exploiters do, that abusers do, is say, This is our secret. It's our secret. Don't tell anyone. We've now got this bizarre situation where teachers are being told not to tell parents what their children are involved in or what they get up to. It, 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 it's incredible. It's not just in that area. So you can go your own way, but there is political indoctrination as well. Listen to this clip from the Australian journalist Rita Panini uh, talking about the midterm elections in the US. There's been a great deal of post-election analysis on this station and elsewhere, but the sharpest commentary I've seen has been this succinct summation from Adrian Vermeule. He's professor of constitutional law at Harvard University. He posted, It's funny to see GOP types debating which candidates or issues would have made a difference when the simplest hypothesis is that there is a critical mass of voters who will support left liberalism on essentially theological grounds, regardless of the conditions it produces. 
you notice what was said there. On theological grounds, they are going to vote. I'm watching people boast on Twitter. Oh, don't worry, we've got Generation Z X or whatever it is, Generation Z or whatever, and they're, they're all going to vote for us. And I hear it within the Scottish National Party or, or, or concerning people about Brexit. Don't worry, the Brexiteers will die off and the young people will vote for us. Or I think of uh, the survey in Dublin where 97% of young people said they were for the EU. Now, I don't care uh, about that, the particular issue in that. What, what I'm interested in here is how do you get 97% of young people to agree on anything? Those are the kind of figures that dictators get. But that is what is happening. And we see that in, particularly in the elite institutions. So take, for example, first of all, listen to this first clip from a debate in Cambridge. We are Cambridge students, so we probably don't need a history lesson. Now, what the woman was saying there was, this is the arrogance that comes from being in elite institutions. We don't need history lessons because we're Cambridge students. But then listen to this. If we look at, like, say, Rwanda, for example, right, as, 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 as short... As recently as 1994, they were fighting a civil war in Rwanda. And the reason for that was because of the borders drawn by the British and the ethnic tensions that, that ensued. So if, if you really think that the, the legacies of empire are over and that our, our responsibility as a nation towards the, the developing world has ceased, then you are sorely mistaken. Thank you very much. Now, there's a young man, and he was applauded in Cambridge with all these people who don't need history lessons because they're history students, saying that the Rwandan civil war and genocide was caused by the British. Yet it was Hutus who killed Tutsis in a Belgian colony. It wasn't a British colony, in a former Belgian colony. And yet it's, a, it's, it's the fault of the British. It's, it's extraordinary. But they, they believe the stuff that they are fed without thinking about it. And that's why one of the reasons I want to mention this, tying in these two subjects, according to a recent poll, fewer than half of students at Cambridge University are heterosexual, with a third identifying as bisexual. 49.7% said they were heterosexual, 11.9% um, said they were homosexual, and 29.7% answered bisexual. You see, this is what is happening when you tell people they can go their own way, and yet you tell them which way to go. Well, I, maybe I won't just leave it there, but um, I came across this. I thought it was lovely. An Assyrian tablet from the year 2800 BC. This is what it says. The earth is degenerating today. Bribery and corruption abound. Children no longer obey their parents. Every man wants to write a book. And it is evident that the end of the world is fast approaching. I just thought that was great. Do you know, the world has ever been thus, to be honest. But it's, I'm, I'm watching the disintegration of Western society as the, the greed, the, the capitalist economic kind of, capitalism without Christianity is how I'd put it, greed, the sexual immorality, the perversity, the uh, cultural Marxism and the march through the institutions. We are beginning to reap what we have sown. All right, let's just see this from another angle. Um, do you watch this show? You're supposed to pick me up, remember? But I can always walk back from here. <laughs> I know that this is a shock for everybody. Whoever did this is extremely dangerous. I've got multiple suspects and motives, and I've got nothing to connect any of them. That's Shetland, uh, 
Great. I, I like a great series. Now I'm talking about indoctrination and nudge theory. Now why why do I why do I mention Shetland? Shetland's a great program, and I just, but I just noticed something. Previous series of Shetland, the weather was always miserable. In fact, people here commented on that. Uh, the last time I preached in the UK was in Shetland, and uh, you know Shetland is known for being wet and windy and windswept, and of course there are days of sunshine as well. But I'm pretty sure the tourist board must have got to the makers of Shetland because in series six, it's like the Greek islands. The skies are clear and, sorry, the, the seas are clear and blue and the skies are, you know, it's creating an art. This is what Shetland's really like. Anyone who goes to Shetland is going to get pretty disappointed. Or again, think about how we nudge people. The, the number of adverts in the UK that basically you would think every family in the UK is a mixed-race family. But it's not true. You would think, from what we were told on the BBC, and the imp- that, that you know transgender is 10% of the population and um, LGBT whatever is, is another 10 or 20%. Well, it might be in Cambridge University, but it's not, and the rest. But they're creating this alternative reality. Or... Uh, I came across a fascinating example of how we rewrite history, and it, it was from The Rest is History. Well, let, let, let me play you just a little bit of this. Do you recognise any of this? Where are you going? I won't be long. That is just an opening, one of the most famous opening clips, actually, from uh, the James Bond movie. I think it was, yes, it was Spectre. And uh, I mention that because it's meant to show a traditional parade of the Day of the Dead parade in Mexico. Uh, The Rest is History is a podcast, history podcast, brilliant podcast. It's doing a whole series on a little bit of history from each of the countries in the World Cup. And I love it. Um, And I love this one from Mexico because it was talking about this Day of the Dead parade. It didn't exist until after the James Bond movie. And I, I... I agree with them. They said that, you know, in a thousand years' time, people, historians are going to be looking back and talk about this ancient Aztec ceremony. But it didn't exist, this ceremony, this Day of the Dead parade, until after the movie when they decided to hold one the following year and a quarter of a million people attended, and it's been held ever since. We just invent stuff. We just make stuff up. I noticed that happening with football. So, uh, for example... Uh, we're, we're told, you're given the impression that women's football is as popular and as important as men's football. But it's not. It's a different game. We've mentioned that before. However, um, speaking of football, let's go to the World Cup. And here's this wonderful story about the Japanese. Why do Japanese fans clean up after matches? They surely don't have to, but they do it anyway. And they do it religiously. So why? As one fan said, it's because they have respect for the place. Another fan went a little deeper with his response. He said, 
Our heart is clean, so the stands must be clean. This means the team reaches its destiny. Four years ago, Scott McIntyre, a football journalist based in Japan, gave a little insight into why the Japanese clean up after themselves. According to him, it's not just part of football culture, but part of Japanese culture. Scott North, a professor of sociology at Osaka University, gave us another perspective. He said, Cleaning up after football matches is an extension of basic behaviours that are taught in school, where the children clean their school classrooms and hallways. So basically, what we see the Japanese fans do in the stadium is a habit that is drilled into the Japanese people from very early in life. The professor opined that Japanese fans cleaning up after themselves on such a huge stage like the World Cup is a way of the fans showing pride in their way of life and sharing it with the rest of the world. And that's the beauty of the World Cup, isn't it? We get to experience cultures from all around the globe all at the same time. I think that's brilliant. I mean, the line, our heart is clean, so the stands must be clean. Sorry, guys, your, your heart isn't clean. But it's a good idea to have the stand clean. But I, I, I've written an article, which I put a link to on um, the Christian Today website. And uh, it points out the Guardian article, where it says 6,500, implies that 6,500 people die, have died building the stadiums for in Qatar. That's not true. Do you know what the actual figure is? It's 6,500 immigrant workers out of an, a number that's 2 million over a period of 10 years have died out of all causes. There's nothing exceptional with that. 37, apparently, were construction workers, only three of whom were on site when, that, when it happened. Now, I'm not sure whether these actual details are, are strictly true, but it does give a completely different perspective. And I also point about Gary Lineker. The, he gave, the BBC did not cover the opening ceremony as a kind of protest. Instead, they had Gary Lineker give a monologue about human rights in Qatar. Gary Lineker was paid £400,000 a year from four, for four years by Al Jazeera, which is owned by Qatar. The hypocrisy is breathtaking. Anyway, look, I'll tell you what, let's take a wee break from all of that. You can go your own way. What about um, the, the, the sport itself? I am very interested in it. And uh, it's all of a sudden Australia are taking an interest. Listen to this. No, short turnaround, but their effort was incredible. What went into it to win two games out of three at the World Cup? Are you pitching yourself? Made a lot of belief, a lot of hard work. And, you know, these boys come in with a great mindset. We've been working on this for four, four and a half years about the belief of the energy and the focus. And, uh, you know, you, I could see in their eyes they were ready tonight. You gave a big shout out to your mates at the Sackville Hotel last time. All of Australia must be celebrating now, right? Yeah, look, uh, I saw the great branding at the Sacky Hotel. It's now the Sac Sacky Ruse. And uh, it's great to have that support behind us. And, uh, yeah, look, fantastic. And just before you've got the next game coming up quite soon, how will you uh, uh, embrace the celebrations tonight, if at all? No celebrations. As I said to the boys, that's why we won after a great win against Tunisia. No celebrations, no emotion, sleep, no social media. Graham Arnold, you're through to the knockout round. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I thought that was a great interview, actually. Um, I love the fact that the players are being told no social media. Um, people here are beginning to take an interest. In, in the centre of Melbourne, it was absolutely packed, apparently, at three o'clock in the morning when that game was played. 
And I've just heard that in Sydney they're going to put up a big screen for us to go and watch it when they play the quarterfinal against Argentina. So, listen, I suspect by the time the next time I record this, uh, Australia will be out. But who knows? But you might as well hear, I think, Australia's greatest national anthem. just want to mention some things in terms of world news. Pretty important. Jiang Zemin, who is the president who ruled China after the Tiananmen massacre, has died age 96. And there are considerable um, protests within China. Interestingly enough, not being not being covered by the Western media very much. Um, I find it incredible that Apple have banned their airdrop or disabled their airdrop in China. That's, of course, at the request of the CCP. Something else to watch, a Hawaiian volcano has erupted, and again, as we've noted before on the whole climate change stuff, one volcano erupting can change lots of things. And we'll see where that one goes. And please don't forget the Ukraine war and the tremendous hardship of the Ukrainian people, especially in winter where the Russians are deliberately bombing their infrastructure to not quite starve them into into submission, but maybe freeze them. And then go your own way. Well, I, I think, personally, I do think that's a model of Donald Trump, and here he is getting in trouble again. He's still the biggest draw in the Republican Party, but former President Donald Trump is in hot water again. Last Tuesday, Trump hosted a dinner at his Mar-a-Lago home with music mogul Kanye West, who has been denounced for his anti-Semitism. West brought along Nick Fuentes, a politically active white supremacist and Holocaust denier. We've got the white Christian men that built this country the first time, and we'll do it again. 
Word that Fuentes was at the dinner quickly spread. Just as quickly, Trump took to his social media platform, claiming the dinner was West's idea, and he didn't know Fuentes. But West posted a video with a different take. Trump is really impressed with Nick Fuentes. The president has long bragged about his close relationship with Jewish Americans, although he received only 30% of the Jewish vote in the 2020 election. Just over a week ago, Trump made it clear he's... Now, I find this particularly repulsive because Nick Fuentes is a Holocaust denier. He, he, he genuinely is. I mean, everyone gets called far right, but he, the trouble is there are people who are genuinely far right, and he genuinely is a horrendous character, an anti-Semitism rearing its head in that way. And Kanye West is not well, but I, I still don't excuse, excuse his anti-Semitism. And Jordan Peterson's here in Australia, and he's experienced it as well. I think there's a real rise in anti-Semitism. It's funny, interesting, isn't it interesting? I went back, go back to the school thing. There was a, when I was in a school in Dundee one time, this boy stood up and had a go at me and said, you know, you're homophobic because you're not for same-sex marriage. You're like Westboro Baptist. And he'd got all that from the internet. And then he just looked at me and said, anyway, the Jews deserved it. It's one of the most chilling moments of my life. Anti-Semitism is deep-rooted in much of contemporary culture. Now, the solution to that is the gospel, of course, but uh, there's a survey that's just come out, and I'll just mention this because my time has gone, that the latest census in England and Wales shows that uh, the number who identify as Christian is 27.5 million, which is 46.2%, below 50% for the first time um, ever in terms of the, these figures. Peter Tatchell could hardly resist gloating saying that less, uh, saying that this was a victory, defeat for superstition, and victory for rational thought. Well, very few of these people would call themselves atheists and humanists and so on. Peter Linus actually had a figure, which I find hard to believe, and I need to check it, but he said there were only 32,000 agnostics in the census, 14,000 atheists and 10,000 humanists. I'm sure there must be a, 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 a couple of zeros missing there somewhere. But... The point is this, the point, the main point I want to make is that um, I don't think England is becoming more rational. In fact, as we reject God, we're becoming more irrational. That is what happens. The Evangelical Alliance uh, had some research which suggested that 6% of the population can be described as practicing Christians. That's about 4 million people, uh, a quarter of whom are from black and non-white minority groups. Nigel Farage is wrong to suggest that immigrants are weakening the church. In fact, they're strengthening it. Although one of the more disturbing figures for me is that the number of percentage of Muslims is up to 6.5%. Now, one of the reasons for decline is the weakness of the church. And an example is a 73-year-old man called Derek Timms, who was told by a Methodist minister that he was not allowed to wear a cross uh, and a Marie Curie centre because it might offend and create barriers with patients. This was a minister who told him this. Uh, and, I mean, Marie Curie have apologised for that. He, he, Mr. Timms pointed out that if he'd wore a Sikh with a turban or a Muslim wearing a burqa or a prayer dress, she wouldn't have said the same thing. No, of course she wouldn't. But unfortunately, these are a kind of people who are getting ordained. And it is pretty depressing in that sense. But the gospel is still the gospel, even with false teachers in the church and everything else. 
And that's where the hope is. And as we go towards Christmas, this idea that we can go our own way. No, no, we need to forget that. We're going to go Christ's way. So I'm going to uh, leave you with a song again from Boney M. Uh, it's one of my favorite Christmas songs. I just think it's brilliant. Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. And man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. Man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. It's not going our way that just leads to disintegration. It's going God's way, which leads to reunion and and, and holiness. And look, folks, if you, I, I'm doing a coffee and revelation thing every day on YouTube. If you want to, to go to that, um, please let me know. Thanks to all of you who've written in and given me ideas and. Uh, who've thanked me, but also who've criticised, which is great. It's great to get the criticism. Um, If you want to support us on the Podbean fundraiser, please feel free to do so. And uh, God bless you. I hope to see you next week. And I won't say we'll do the Scotland one, but maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Thanks to Peter for producing this. And uh, also you can go to the website www.weefly.com. Bye. Tears of joy and love.